Welcome to Changing Reels, a podcast that aims to change the conversation on diversity and representation in cinema one reel at a time. My name is Courtney Small. I write about film for several publications, including ThatShelf.com, where the show is hosted, and Cinema Access, to name a few. I'm also the co-host of the podcast Frameline. Today, I'm joined by podcaster and writer Patula Neal. Patula is the host of the film-loving podcast In a Tiff. She's also the co-host of the podcast Back Issues Bloodbath, where she discusses all things comic books. Uh, Patulia, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Loving this inside life. Well, we're enduring the inside life. I don't know if people are still loving it, but, you know, we'll get through it. Our main film for today is the 2019 dramedy Hustlers, directed by Lorraine Scafaria. Based on Jessica Pressler's 2015 New York Magazine article, The Hustlers at Scores, the film centers around a group of women who navigate the financial crisis of 2008 by creating a plan to exploit their clients' credit cards. Tulio, do you want to just start us off on your brief thoughts on this film? It's a masterpiece. It's a commentary on gender roles, class differences, capitalism, and it's an operatic feast for the eyes. That is a wonderful synopsis of, of this film. It's, it's one I think was underappreciated, even though it made a boatload of money. This film really deserves a lot more praise than it got. And, you know, let's jump into the, the gender stereotypes, because that's a play at all levels of this film. Do you want to share some thoughts on that specific aspect? Well, I would say you're definitely correct with the fact that the movie didn't perhaps get the other side of the acclaim, aside from monetary and a certain type of press attention that it perhaps deserved based on the quality of the filmmaking. And when I think about how this movie is treated, especially during award season, I definitely think of that meme, I'm in this photo and I don't like it. I feel like, obviously, still most of the gatekeepers, the voting body for most of those larger groups and academies and sort of press groups, not the majority of those people making those decisions are still men of means. And the way men of means are portrayed in this film, it's not great, Bob. So it's not always going to be about the point of view of the people in power. And the more films change, and instead of just focusing on, oh, let's feel bad for the, you know, poor downtrodden dancers, but instead, oh, this is kind of like an Ocean's Eleven of stripper movies where these poor downtrodden women who've come up rough actually come up with a way to steal from the house. And that's where I think really the the role of not just the people portrayed in the film, but the people consuming the film affected its performance during kind of mainstream award season. I, I completely agree with that. It look at obviously the, the biggest if you want to use the term snub, was a lack of supporting actress nomination for Jennifer Lopez in this film. And I looked at the list of people that got it and Margot Robbie for Bombshell. And that's another film that talks about gender roles and the mistreatment of women. And for what that film does, it's not even a fraction of Hustlers. Arguably much less sympathetic characters in that one, too. Exactly. And you can't even think... I, 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 to this day, I still cannot remember her character's name. Whereas in this film, you remember every single character. There was a lot of scenes re-watching this film again where I knew that the line that was coming or the gag still played because these individuals felt like real women and their situations resonated on a level that I think a lot of films, especially ones that deal with the 
dancing industry, and we can get into that a bit later, they, they don't really give them such depth of, of character. And I feel that in many ways, J-Lo's maybe celebrity status or whatnot, they just they forgot that she can act and that she's a really good actress. It just sometimes the material may not be the best, but I was surprised that she didn't even get nominated for this. And I also thought the film should have been nominated in the adapted screenplay. Oh, absolutely. Because yeah. this film has some lines. Like, it hits its point home, but there are so many quotable moments and the way how the scenes unfold. And as you said, you know, these, these are people that are downtrodden. They are doing bad things to men who usually get celebrated. In film, like rewatching this again, I was thinking of The Wolf of Wall Street. In that film, you have, I guess, the other side of the equation where Leonardo DiCaprio's character is hanging out with the Wall Street types. He wants to be like that, and him and his boys, they do horrible things to make money, bankrupt a whole bunch of people. And I know it's supposed to be a quote unquote a cautionary tale, but for I would argue for a good two hours, they just celebrate men behaving badly and then the last 20 minutes is like a little slap on the wrist for oh, you know go to white collar jail for what you did whereas here the women even though they are doing um criminal acts this film forces you to question who are the real villains there's a clear double standard and how this film approaches that double standard while still making these women human and, and relatable i think is, is phenomenal and what i love the most about I mean, there's so many films, TV shows, other things that take place in a strip club where you only see some of these women from like the waist down as the men are having a conversation. It's always shot from the dancers POV. They're POV watching each other. They're POV watching the audience. They're POV as they're going through the floor trying to get dances. It is very much, it's flipping that lens literally and again i just think that's why probably some people felt uncomfortable with it and didn't know why because they were seeing what they look like to perhaps people that they if not prey on people that they can have more transactional relationship with based on their positions of powered influence versus others and it's interesting because one of the things that hit me about this film and in regards to the transactional nature of of the industry is there's a humorous moment when one of the customers who they've swindled goes to the police and the police don't believe his story they kind of brush it off but then once they start to pick up a pattern all of a sudden they get concerned and it's not they're concerned for the victims but they get concerned for themselves so they make the bold move of stop going to the strip clubs for a while you know and to, to them <laughs> yeah. that's that's yeah. the the big thing like oh we've got to be careful that was so bad like oh yeah some of us got so worried we stopped going to the club that was Julia Stiles, basically, her whole job in this is reaction take, and she knocks it out of the park. Her best performance since Save the Last Dance. Ooh, bold statements. And I may not disagree with you. I have to uh, revisit her, her catalog. I mean, I love 10 Things I Hate About You, but this is more where she is a fish out of water as well. Yes. Because she's obviously somebody who's coming from more of a background of privilege, so she's with these, you know, hard scrabble sort of New York cops. She's interviewing these former dancers and there's always something about her that doesn't quite belong and her face is just reacting and yeah she has some great like reaction shots i i'm surprised there aren't more gifts actually of julia styles's face reacting to things in this movie and it's funny because she is 
almost like that middle ground. As you said, she comes from a place of privilege, and but you could easily see her father being one of the customers at this strip club. And I think it was Constant Wu's Destiny where she was talking about the, the types of men that Ramona had outlined that come to the club. And there's the the ones that don't have any money, so they're going to play it safe. There's the middle ground ones, the guys who have a bit of money and will take things to a certain line but stop and then you have the wealthy wall street brokers investors who come into the club through the back door because you know they don't want that type of scandal but in inside the club they do whatever they want and yeah great cameo by frank wally here just oh my god he is amazing in it and for the minis him you're you don't even need the voiceover of what type of character he's playing. Just his look and his demeanor says so much. And the women have him pegged for the minute he walks in, but he still thinks that he's running the show. You know, you compare him to some of the other customers that are coming in and the various ways that these women get treated. And you kind of want them to get their, their comeuppance even though you know what the women are doing are, is still wrong. Like, that's the beauty of this film. They present these women in a different light that you, you don't normally see. Like I was thinking back to just stripper films in general. I know on this show we've discussed Magic Mike XXL, but there's not that many films that are really about strippers. There's a lot of films that have strippers in them, or strippers are the, the love interest, usually helping a man through it but i'm trying to think of the ones that were just specifically focused on the stripping industry and i could think of maybe three one of them being showgirls which is obviously not the best example yeah strip tease which is even worse and then i was thinking dancing at the blue iguana which is a more somber downtrodden look but even then it doesn't quite grasp oh oh players club oh right that uh lisa ray joint Right. I completely forgot about that one. But even in that one, if I remember that film correctly, there's still very much a male component to it. Absolutely. Whereas this one is really about the women. Like, if you think of Magic Mike XXL or even the first one, it's treated more as a party to a certain extent. I know Magic Mike XXL is very much about female pleasure, whereas they're not struggling like these women are. Right. I guess Exotica wouldn't count, would it? No. It's just most of the most iconic scenes from that film are from, like, those moments. Yeah, and I was thinking about Exotica, but I think Exotica, again, is more about the male clientele and and the DJ. Because, you know, a a key component of Exotica is, I believe it's Bruce Greenwood, uh, his character. He goes to the club almost as as therapy. And as things evolve, you kind of understand his connection to, to the stripper. Yeah, much more about empathizing with the clientele. And again, to to your point, how we even approach films about stripping is very gender specific. So if it's male strippers, it's they're partying, there's some greater cause. You know, if you want to throw in the full Monty, for example, there's a humorous element to it but when it comes to women they are downtrodden it's really like the lowest of the low it's you know or they're there to help men through particular issues and i think with this film we also see that in terms of just the job aspect to it because when the financial crisis hits and the women try to get other jobs outside of stripping they're not even afforded the opportunity to get a leg up pun intended (laughs) (laughs) 
So it and you know and you think of like there was tons of men put out of work when the financial crisis hit, but a lot of them still were able to bounce back. And none of and none of them went to jail. Exactly. None of the none of those guys went to jail, and they still were able to keep most of their their money um, that they had swindled from from others. And there's a great scene when I think it's Ramona where she's working at Old Navy, and she goes to her boss to ask for time off to pick up a kid from school. Yeah. And he's and the boss is saying, well, you know, I'm not the kid's father. It's not my problem. And then he points out that some other guy, say Tony, for example, has kids, but you don't see him taking off early. And it's like, yeah, because Tony's wife is probably at home with these kids. Like, you know, these women are asked to be mothers and providers, whereas the men are looked at just being provider. I mean, we've gone deep into sort of the socioeconomic political of this all, which is very timely because right now we're in the middle of another much larger economic collapse. But if you are sitting at home during all of this and want to enjoy yourself, this movie is a good time. Like it is fun. If you just want surface, yeah, there's these serious themes throughout, but it is layered onto this gorgeous tapestry. Like, first of all, just J-Lo. Just J-Lo. It's everything. She turns J-Lo, sort of Jenny from the Block, mixed between Diddy and Affleck era, up to 11, adds about 10 more tracks to the hair, uh, 20 more uh, layers of eyelashes, uh, and gives you one of the best performances she's ever done. But to your earlier point, definitely a point... A performance that should have been nominated, if not for the big award, like definitely for more of the smaller awards that it was also not included in. And the everything from the production design, they shot in an actual strip club. Yeah, this film looks gorgeous. And it looks like very New York in all of the good ways. A lot of the crew, a lot of even the background characters were like they mixed in actual dancers with the featured talent in the strip club amongst the ladies in the beginning Uh, some of the people who play police officers were either current or former police officers so all of that authenticity and whatever it is just like it's just a good movie like it looks good it sounds good you feel like you're driving through new york at that time of the morning when you've been out all night because you work maybe in the service industry and the sun's just coming up that's when they were getting half of their shots. You feel like you're there because they got it all. It's very almost like a tactile. You can kind of smell that New York smell that you get sometimes late at night when it's raining and you're walking down the street and, you know, you go past the wrong alley and you get like a hot, wet kind of New York smell. It gives you all of that, but it it's just gorgeous on top of that. Yeah, and there's also a lot of humor to this film. As you said, like, yeah, we, we have been diving into some of the serious aspects, but there's so many funny moments in this film. And I like how you said that this is a film that you can just watch on the surface level and just be entertained. Because I, I think back to the moment when Usher shows up. Oh, my God. And everything goes into nice slow-mo. Usher's in the club is playing. All the women of various backgrounds, body shape sizes, they're all on stage. Everyone's having a wonderful time. They're having the best time of their lives. Yeah. And everyone's interviews about this film, they say that was like one of the best days to be working, to be shooting, to be there. It was just so much. It looks like so much fun. And I love that they use that imagery as sort of a button later on. So, yeah, you go through some stuff, but then they remind you of that. Well, how does Destin phrase it? 
everything just felt so glamorous and cool. It was like one of the last good nights before the crash. And I will also say the music in this film is wonderful because I think that also adds to the fun aspect to it. Like there are some songs that are... I guess on the nose if you really think about it but at the same time they're used to perfection when JLo comes out she's dancing to Fiona Apple's Criminal and as we said it's shot gloriously you know she really it really gives her that kind of the big dog is here let's let's get this money that might be one of my desert island scenes if I had to pick one scene in a movie to bring to a desert island Mm-hmm. That's it. That's in the mix. It's in the conversation. For yeah, sure. it is just a wonderful film. And watching her go through the routine on stage with the the purple glow of the lighting, like it, it's just a magical moment. And later on, you have when they introduce Troublemaker Don, you hear Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons song "Don Go Away." playing like there's just a lot of great musical cues that every time i watch this film it it puts a smile on my face like even when j-lo gets busted and she's going to the machine and she's wearing the the hoodie with the crown on the back and they're playing lord's like royalty on it like you know there's just a lot of fun moments in this film in interviews with the writer director lorenzo Quafaria, she says she wrote a lot of that into the script and then just kept getting surprised over and over again that she got permission to use most of that music. You know, Apple hadn't given rights to that song for anything ever, maybe, but definitely in ages. Lord hadn't given rights for uh, Royal to be used in anything. So a lot of the songs, I think they did go to the to Frankie Valley as well for his music. They did want to sort of have Nana have some kind of, you know, you know, thought moment when she, in her youth that she's telling the girls about. So they wanted something where the music would then work for other scenes in the movie. So because of, again, the quality of the script and their storytelling and, again, the team, you have J-Lo on it, so you get at people that maybe you wouldn't normally get at. You know, they would send people, you know, sometimes a snippet and, you know, part of the script or whatever, and they were getting permission left and right for music that other people hadn't had a chance to use. So this soundtrack, yeah, this soundtrack was definitely also one of the reasons why I loved it. And then in those treatment moments, those, you know, conversation, relationship training moments between the women, it's all like Chopin etudes where it's, you know, sort of a single person on a piano just playing the most beautiful, intricate kind of music, sort of weaving those emotional moments of the story together. And that balance is great. And then when the cops get involved later, so there's no score, but everybody has their own kind of set of music. For different activities the cops it's all a whole bunch of like bob seeger night moves and stuff yeah great soundtrack and one of the things now thinking back to some of those moments and i know we could probably take a moment to to dive in a bit about the characters but there's just little quirks about the characters that i like as well even supporting characters like annabelle who has a problem of nervous vomiting yeah nervous vomiting similar to anna darmus's character knives out yes yes exactly and it's funny how it's, it's not over used and it's never like with knives out it serves a, a really specific purpose this one there's moments where you think she's going to hold it together and she just she just can't and it's yeah. it's funny that that's her her tell and you have someone like mercedes who at one point she just hoofs it she's like <laughs> yeah. nope i'm not getting anywhere near this we go any further the cops coming and then she just takes off in her heels running yeah in her pleasers and her swimona outfit yes 
Yeah, and like I don't know, the the characters are just so well written, and even Don, who is the the drug addict that they bring in as part of their expanding of their business operations, and you know that even outside of the music here, that this is just a bad idea, and Don trying to remember the credit card number. In the elevator. In the elevator. Yeah. And then overhearing someone's phone call where this woman's just rattling off different numbers. Like, it's the cast does such a, a great job with the material. Let's talk about the two big individuals. The love story. It is a love story. It's a friendship love story, but it's still a love story, I would say. Yes. Well, Constance Wu, in some ways, and you can't help but with certain actresses, especially depending on what's going on in their life and career at that time, think of their public persona overlaid with the character. So her character has this refrain about, I just want what I think I should get based on the work I'm willing to put in. And I don't want to have to depend on anyone. I had to do most of this on my own and people keep abandoning me. And at the time you had, probably after the movie was shot, but definitely before it came out, there was some PR stuff with Constance Wu that it was, I felt like definitely the cast of this movie when it was released at TIFF and in North America that same week, definitely supported her in that quiet way women do when they know we've all been through it or we're all about to go through it at some point in our lives. And we don't need to like even acknowledge this narrative uh, that the media is putting on this woman because she's not behaving perhaps like the polite stereotype of the docile Asian woman that we would like. That she, you know, might go home, have a glass of wine, pop off on Twitter, and, you know, it is what it is. So that character coming in, and she's starting to try to work on her come up, but she's still hitting some bumps. And then she meets Ramona's character. So the two of them together, you can't really talk about one without the other. Yeah, because so true. much of how her character progresses and regresses is based on her relationship with Ramona. How When Ramona embraces her, when Ramona opens her arms, legs, and says, crawl into my fur on that roof, we see her feel embraced by like mother friend big sister figure and how that helps her blossom so even though like except for maybe the the sexy choker it's literally a choker that's a sexy on it the sexy choker like her styling is very similar but just the way she moves and how much more confident she is in the clothes after ramona takes her under her wing so while she keeps saying verbally i don't want to need anyone i want to be able to just you know make enough money to take care of my grandma take care of myself maybe go shopping but meanwhile, the more that she's embraced by this family at the club, the more she blossoms as a performer and a person. The more you see her warmer side, the more you see her collaborating with other people, the more you see her showing care for and being cared for by people besides just her grandmother and then later on her daughter. It's it's. Very interesting, too, because the contrast with her at the end, alone on this sort of white couch, being interviewed by the Julia Stiles character, she seems so much more kind of brittle and reserved and remote emotionally. And when she does break, and she breaks a few times during this sort of interview sequence, you see the part of her that, as much as everything was going horribly at a moment in the film where there's a funeral... She's just happy to have Ramona back. Ramona's not out in these streets. She's not hanging out with Dawn and the other strays. Like, this was the woman who made her feel protected and cared for, that she loved and admired, that she would do anything for this woman who empowered her to be able to take care of herself. And 
she was just happy to be back in her arms at even one of her lowest moments and would do literally anything that woman asked her to do. So that whole relationship and how much they did truly care for each other and whether or not their relationship was um, unhealthy in some ways, it was pro very productive at one point. And, and like so many relationships, especially professional relationships, you can look at it in the entertainment industry. There's a lot of relationships where when things are going great, you know, people do a collab. They do like, a, you know, somebody sings on somebody's track. Somebody raps on somebody's track. When things are going great, they're great. And then when they start going bad, they're really bad. So you get to see both of those things in this film and how it affects destinies ability to interact and open up with people i feel like ramon is the last person she'll ever truly love i completely agree with that and i really like that point that you made about when ramona embraces her and how her her life takes off because their friendship and you know sisterly bond you, know, you can even say almost borders on mother daughter kind of familial bond is what really resonates but as you were talking, I was thinking back to points of this film, and I was like, you know what, you're right. Whenever Ramona's not around, her life is really floundering. Like, when the crisis hits and they're all separated, that's when she's struggling to be a single mother. She can't get a job. She has to go back to the club, and she has probably the worst experience of her life at the club, and everything has changed. And then Ramona comes in again like an angel, you know, and helps to guide her to pick her back up when everyone else seems to just want to step over her and it's it's such a unique bond that they have and you know they get along well with all the other women but i found that their scenes together even if it was uh, them car shopping or looking at ramona's potential fashion line like it really resonates you almost forget the whole criminal aspect to the to the story just because there's just so much that that works with them together and i also like that point you made about the the couch too because by the end of the film one of the things that destiny longs for the most is ramona's approval is, is she still talking about me does she still think about me and that's everyone about their ex like what yep. did they say about me yeah, you, you, you talked to my ex? Did they put in a good word? What did my ex say? And it's that kind of longing for Ramona. And in another version of this film, or maybe down the line or something, you could easily see those two connecting again. Maybe not being on the same level as they once were, but their bond is so deep that even moments like when they're cooking up this new drug that they're going to slip the men and you get that nice bit of humor when they both try, and then the next scene is them waking up from being passed out because the dosage was, was too strong. Like You know those are things that they will look back on years from now and, and kind of chuckle. Do you remember when we did that silly thing? Or One of my favorite moments is actually the, I think it was the Christmas scene. Oh, yeah. They're, all the women are just together, and they're opening up the gifts, and the blonde is just so warm and loving and in that moment you're like you they don't need anything else you don't need the outside world they don't need any of those men that come into their lives romantically or professionally and i, I do like destiny's evolution over the course of the film and i also like that destiny doesn't fit the typical model asian stereotype that often comes with a lot of 
films where you have an Asian lead. She comes from a place of struggle. She's been fighting since she was a little girl, you know, after her parents left and what have you. And I know in a lot of Asian films, you do see the various sides, like most recently Shoplifter, Parasite. But I found when it comes to like North American films, there's still that story of the model Asian and portrayed as either professionally sound or education wise set for life, even if they have emotional issues. Yeah. Yeah. She had struggle times. And when it comes to Ramona, there's a lot of tenderness to her. Like I understand why Ramona would be drawn to the, the quote unquote strays. She's really all about women. We need to rise up and get ours and I'm going to help you. She's also an aging dancer. So she is good at cultivating the young ones in that way. She's like a trend spotter. These attributes about you are why it's easier for you to make money. You don't have to work as hard as I do. You don't have to be as smart as I am. You don't have to dance as well as I do. Because just what you are in your youth compared to mine makes you a triple threat. When they call up one of their old regulars, she sends a picture of Annabelle doing the over-the-shoulder, yes. slightly open, thumb-in-the-mouth, big huge eyes and it's just you know why they're doing it and you know why it works you know why they get a response right away the honeypot yeah they set that bait and yeah now that i'm thinking back like it's most of the time it is annabelle who they send out first at least when they initially start off with their their group of four yeah so she has one of everything ramona has literally recruited a squad based on covering all possible interests and or fetishes so, you know, you have Kiki, who's your funny black girl. And again, they're all super hot. And then you have Annabelle, who's like your blonde, who can affect this innocent look. And then you have Destiny, who I, you know, what gets layered onto her, whether she's portraying it or not, is the model Asian. But <laughs> she's out in these streets in that outfit. So, you know, she's not exactly what you think the model Asian should be. Like all, like she's literally recruited sort of one of everything for her little squad. And it's all about maximizing the potential to get targets to do what they want. So she's got a shrewd business mind underneath this kind of weird Mrs. Hannigan kind of approach to recruiting youngsters to work for her. <laughs> it's a hard knock life. It is. And I, I, I like the business aspect to it as well, because they deal with men who are all about business and everything is transactional. So it's like, well, we can do that same stuff as well. And, you know, the way that, again, with Ramona's experience, she's able to tell you exactly what you need to know about the clientele is just by how they're dressed. You know, the types of look for the type of shoes, the watch, the wedding ring that will tell us which level of customer we need to engage with. And if they're not worthy, then don't even bother. Don't waste your time. Like there's great business sense to everything that these women do. And you know, yes, they might get themselves a, a fancy mink coat and whatnot, but for the most part, most of their spending is stuff that their male counterparts would do. Upgrade your apartment, upgrade your ride. Yeah, it's fundamentals. Like the odd purse and shoes, that's not even... Most of the actual clothing and other things are for their business expenses. They should be able to write them off if this was a legitimate business. Those dresses are what they use to go into those higher-end bars for fishing. They can't go into those higher-end bars in their, like, pole clothes. They have to buy, you know, designer brand. So most of the, at least half of the shopping they do is a legitimate business. It's office supplies. It's a, it's a swing line stapler in the form of a bandage dress. 
but then they also change around the whole dynamics of the club because as dancers they have to give their boss a cut they got to give the bouncer a cut they got to give the dj a cut so their take home is maybe a quarter of what of the work and what they're actually bringing in whereas in this new model those people still get their cut but it's a much smaller cut now they're the ones who are running the show they they are the ones that the club needs and not the other way around yeah and it's when they realize that but then perhaps move too quickly to try to cut out the middleman that's where they become exposed because you have the legal obfuscation layer of the club is the one where you're scanning the card, like where the method of payment is being used at the point of sale system. So you aren't directly taking someone's credit card and using it yourself. So legally, if they'd been willing to continue to split the cut with the clubs forever, one could argue they would have been fine. Or if they'd had the time to perhaps look at even opening up something themselves, an Etsy of strip clubs, if you will. And then having some sort of, again, legal obfuscation layer between the fact that they were just straight up overcharging these dudes' cards. Who knows? They could still be in business now. That was one of the things that crossed my mind in terms of why didn't they either open up the club or take the bit of money that they had right now and then just invest in some other industry. Like, understand the lure of the fast cash, but once the club started using the Russian girls to run the same scam, you've got your money, time to step out and try and do different venture and, and this movie was shot in a super limited amount of time like i think it was less than a month or something crazy like that so that's where some of the cuts it doesn't look like a film that was shot in less than two months but it definitely definitely was and you and i both go to festivals where there's a lot of talent there answering things live and often when somebody gives a really short time for the shooting schedule you get a lot of gasps from the audience like oh my goodness i do feel like they made a few maybe story compromises in the third act but i'm okay with that because it was still believable i'm glad that they took that time sort of in the first and second act to establish who the characters were establish their relationships with each other but at that point we're going for economy the third act is a bit rushed i'd say that's the one and maybe the only criticism i could give this because if you couldn't tell already i love this movie it's just fantastic but yeah i'd say the third act was a bit rushed well, if I remember correctly, an interview that I saw with Scafaria, she was saying that from the article that this was based on, and I guess the research she's done, the real individual's relationships was very much a transactional one. At the same time, I like, similar to what you pointed out, how they spent that time in the first section just building the characters and their dynamics. So yeah, I was completely willing to ignore that. I just It was just one of those things that went, hmm, I'm sure there was probably other things that they could have done, but again, when, when you're making money that fast and at that rate, you're probably not thinking long term. Maybe the moral of this story outside of not drugging people is to plan better financially. <laughs> I mean, I, I think there's bigger morals behind there for yes, the whole obviously. American economy and education and social services and training and programs for people who are less privileged and other things. So your life, you don't just wake up one morning and think I'm going to drug men and steal their money. And I do think, yes, what they're doing is wrong. Absolutely. However, it's this weird thing of because they're strippers, we have to justify why you're low-key rooting for them. Why am I allowed to root for people in the Italian job or set it off or any of the Oceans films, but I can't root for these strippers? Yeah, exactly. If they were in any other industry, there wouldn't be any debate whatsoever. Love Danny Ocean. 
because Danny Ocean does what he does. And, oh, those casinos deserve to be robbed. Well, maybe, maybe not. But as you said, with this particular industry, there's all this added layers put on to, to their justification, right? And again, the gender stereotypes come into play. And that's why it's so great. I think I've seen it now definitely north of five times. This movie's just a delight. And now with the current situation and the economy, there's a couple ways you could watch it. You could watch it from a you know commentary on the socioeconomic stuff, or you could just do what I've tried to do at least twice, which is just watch JLo's intro dance. And then I end up watching the whole entire movie again. <laughs> that's that's happened twice now. <laughs> I'm like, I'll just I'll just watch this scene. This is one of those films that even if it was on TV one day and you know you just catch like a minute of you're like, oh hey, they're showing hustlers. I know I would be on the couch until the film ended. There's something for everyone. If you're a Lizzo fan, you get to see her rub her flute between another dancer's breasts as they discuss the great job her surgeon did. I yep. just, it's just so good. It's just so good. Patoya, where can listeners find you? In a tiff.com on Twitter at Obesa Kantawit, O-B-E-S-A-C-A-N-T-A-V-I-T, and on Back Issue Bloodbath, where I talk about old comics, which is really all you can get right now, so... Yeah. Listeners, you can reach me on Twitter at Small Mind, or you can reach the show on Twitter at Changing Reels AC. Thank you for listening, and remember, you can change the conversation on diversity and representation in cinema one reel at a time.